I uh, happened on uh, this week uh, these uh, kind of strange instructions that you sometimes find in products or uh, on warning labels. Uh, there's hundreds of them on the Internet, uh, but here's some of the ones that I found that I kind of enjoyed. Um, this was uh, on a uh, toilet. It said, recycled flush water, unsafe for drinking. No kidding. It was on a toilet at a public sports facility in Ann Arbor, Michigan, by the way. Um, if you understand my love for a particular football team, you'd understand why I find that really funny. Um, here's another one on one of those uh, sun shields that you put in your car window. Do not drive with sun shield in place. Thanks. On a toner cartridge for a laser printer, do not eat toner. I've been tempted several times. When I... On a can of air freshener, for use by trained personnel only. On an iron, do not iron clothes on body. Actually, I think there are people who have tried that. But um, On a sign at a railroad station, beware, to touch these wires is instant death. Anyone found doing so will be prosecuted. <laughs> on the bottom, the bottom of a supermarket dessert box. Do not turn upside down. And I don't know if you'll find this next one funny or not. It was on the instructions for a thermometer. Do not use orally after using rectally. Some of that seems to go without saying for me. Now, you know what? A lot of instructions are good, aren't they? And despite our tendency, our nature to want to disregard instructions, we are usually better off when we follow the instructions because most instructions are intended to protect us from harm and to help us get the most out of a particular product. I want to remind you this morning that marriage is God's idea. And when He gave us that idea, He included a set of instructions in the Bible. And His instructions for our marriage relationships were intended to protect us from harm and to help us get the most joy out of the relationship. So we've been spending some time for the last few weeks digging around in the Bible, looking at some of the instructions that God gives us about His idea of the marriage relationship. We began the first week by looking at three very basic principles that He instructs us about. The idea that marriage is to be mutually submissive, that I, it's all about serving my spouse. And we looked at how God defines real love in the marriage relationship. And we talked about the fact that God says our marriage relationship is to be a top priority, second only to our relationship with Him. Last week we began to look at some of the instructions that He gives us regarding conflict and tension. And we said that in every marriage relationship, there are going to be those moments when conflict and tension arise. The question is, how do we handle that in a way that, that God would want us to? And then today we're going to talk about the sexual part of that relationship and some instructions that God gives us for that. Now, I've been encouraging you uh, to make some investments in your marriage relationship. And I just want to continue to encourage and sort of keep you accountable to that. How many of you took some time to date your spouse this week? Yeah, again, some of you. And hopefully, maybe in the coming weeks, you're going to continue uh, to do that. To take it, I didn't have as much time this week, but we found a little time at lunch one day, day together. One of the benefits of working in the same office and uh, went out to lunch and had some time to talk. Uh, remember, we're uh, collecting those creative date ideas as part of a contest, and you can continue to send those to stories at crosspointcape.com, and uh, we're going to give a prize for the most creative idea. 
at the end of our series. And every week I'm posting all of the ideas so that you might uh, use those on my blog at uh, jeffswearingen.wordpress.com. I also wonder how many of you have been reading The Love Dare, the book? Staying up with that? A lot of you. Very good. And uh, I continue to get so many positive comments back from what that's doing for you as you're reading that together and talking about it and uh, living out those exercises. Uh, We still have just a few copies of that left. You guys have bought most of them, but I think we just have a handful of those left. If you want to stop out at the connection point and purchase one of those, uh, you can still jump in um, and join us in doing that. Well, I want you to watch this clip, and I think it sort of sets the scene for where we want to go today. And I think it's a good reminder that all of us could use God's help uh, in this part of our relationship. to bed wearing that silky thing, I know I have a chance, but flannel pajamas, might as well be wearing a porcupine suit. You're so tired. Yes, but we had an appointment. Huh? See the the rocket ship? (laughs) I know. I've been Christmas shopping all day, and then I... I just got the twins down, and I'm just not in the mood. You don't have to be in the mood. I mean, just start, and you can get in the mood. It's it's like like you're invited to a party that you don't want to go to, so you figure, I'm just going to stop by, say hello. And when you get there, the next thing you know, you're swinging at the pinata, wearing a hat. I'm not going to the party, Ray. You, You can't just not go. At least send a gift. You know, it's not always me. What about last week when I was in the mood and you weren't? When was that? Wednesday. You were watching TV. I asked you to give me a back rub. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You gave me one of these one-handed deals. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You, you ask for a back rub, and that means Mr. Smith goes to Washington? <laughs> Well, what am I supposed to say? Hey, come on. You want some? Let's do it. I would love it if you talk like that. You know, after all these years, you still have no idea, do you? Look, I, I know you have to be in the mood, but, but can't you just this once think like a man? <laughs> I'm completely disregarding your feelings. You tell Mr. Smith that. (laughs) What more do I need to say? Well, I think it's important as we get started this morning, as I dig into this subject, to remember that sex in marriage was God's idea. And because it was His idea, He included in the Bible some instructions about this part of our relationship. 
These instructions were intended to protect us from harm and to help us get the most joy we can out of this part of our relationship. Now, I know for some of you this morning, when I begin to talk about this, immediately there are some uh, roadblocks that go up for you. Some of you are tempted just to turn me off and think, okay, he'll be done in a few minutes and I can get out of here. Can I ask you please this morning to just listen, to resist that urge, to turn it off and say, I don't want to hear about this? Because it is possible this morning that as we dig into the Bible a little bit, God, through His Spirit, might show up and teach you some things that you've missed. And it's possible that God could, through the Spirit and through the Word of God, change your attitude about this a bit. So I just want to ask you to be open-minded and hear what we have to look at this morning together. I also want to say this as we talk about marriage. I think we need to be really clear as we define uh, the whole idea of sex. It is a wonderful gift that God gave us, but He gave it only to be used in the context of marriage. Sex that takes place any any place outside of the marriage relationship, God says, is wrong. It is sin. He also very clearly defines the marriage relationship. He says that sex in a marriage relationship is to take place between a man and a woman. And any kind of other relationship outside of that, the Bible is really clear, is sin. So please understand that context and foundation as we explore this together this morning. Now, in the very first couple that we find in the Bible, the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve, in the very beginning of Genesis, God begins to give us a glimpse of how important the physical part of our relationship is. He says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and we actually have read these words before, but we read them when we looked at that passage in the New Testament. This is where they're first spoken. He says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. It's talking about the physical part of our connection. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now notice that what's being described here is the whole leaving of the parents, the cleaving together in a relationship, and then the weaving together of the intimacy of that relationship. And notice that the way it's written here, it says they will become one, not they became one. Oneness is not an overnight event, not even the honeymoon night. Achieving oneness is a lifelong romantic, physical, spiritual, and sexual quest. It doesn't happen quickly. In fact, Max Lucado writes this. He says, God desires to make you one with your spouse, and sex is one of His tools. Don't overrate it like society does. Don't ignore it like religion has done. Just appreciate it. And it was God's desire that we would learn to appreciate and to enjoy the sexual part of this relationship. It was God's idea from the very beginning. And He intended it not to be an obstacle to us, but to be something that together we enjoy. The problem is, oftentimes we have not done well in this area because we have been selfish, quite honestly, and we have failed to communicate clearly. And so I want to talk about it openly today. I want to explore three steps that I think the Bible gives us towards achieving enjoyment and oneness in this part of our relationship. Here's the first step. We need to get in sync with Scripture. I have a, uh, I guess, bad habit 
uh, when I watch movies. Uh, my youngest son, Matthew, is a real movie buff, but I drive him crazy sometimes because when we're watching a movie together, I'll see something in the movie that I think, well, that's just not realistic. Now, that's not how it really happens. And, and I blurt that out. You know, ah, that, that doesn't make sense. That's not how it really happened. That's not realistic. He's like, Dad, just enjoy the movie. You know? There are a lot of things in our society that our society says about sex today that we probably need to verbalize out loud and say, you know what, that's not realistic. That's not how it really works. You know, in real life, people don't lock eyes for five minutes for the first time and five minutes later they're ripping all their clothes off. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way in a marriage relationship, does it? It's not realistic. And we should not base our sexuality on the smokescreen of our culture. Our sexuality shouldn't be based on the smokescreen of movies and magazines or the Internet. Our sexuality ought to be put through the grid of the Bible. What does God have to say about our sexuality? I want to look at three passages where he speaks about that. In each of these passages, he kind of declares one of the purposes that he first gave us the idea of sex. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 1, just back a page for where we were a minute ago. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And here's what the Bible says. It says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number." One of the reasons that God gave us sex was the idea of creation. He says, I want you to create offspring. I want you to to fill the earth. And I think any of us who are parents, the first time we, we held that baby, we realized, didn't we, the thrill of God inviting us to be part of the creation process of a human life. There's a couple in our church that got to experience that just this week. Matthew and Jessica Crossan. Had their son Levi, here's Matthew, holding his baby. And in that instance, I know as he held his son for the first time this week, he got to experience the thrill of part of the reason that God created sex in the first place. The thrill of getting to be part of creation. By the way, the proud grandparents are Dan and Jeffrey, uh, Dan and Lucinda Jeffrey, and uh, they're uh, pretty excited. So Dan is a lot older now, now that he's a grandfather. Second passage of Scripture. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is writing here and he's writing to people just like us. And he was a leader in the early church. He writes this in verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent, and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul says a second purpose that God gave us sex was to meet each other's physical needs. We all know that there is this physical desire for each other that God put inside of us, isn't there? Do you remember back when you were dating? It was difficult to control the desires, wasn't it? In the context of marriage, God intended that we would find all of the fulfillment of those desires, but only in the marriage relationship. So God gave us sex for the purpose of meeting those physical needs that He gave us in the beginning. 
Then there's one more place I want to look. One other purpose that I think the Bible talks about. It's in that book that we read a little bit from last week, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. I want you to listen to Again, this is a book where uh, it's a beautiful romantic picture, an interchange, a, a discussion, and some other things that happen between a husband and a wife. You ought to read this. You know, If you've never read this, you might be really surprised what's in your Bible. Here's, here's chapter 7. Listen to the beautiful words they speak to each other. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. And in their culture, those were very flattering words. We don't quite get it, do we? Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Beth Raven, which was a beautiful pool of water. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. I don't know how to explain that one to you, but it really, in their culture, it was a compliment. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, O love, with your delight. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breast like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breast be like the clusters of the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. You know what the third reason that God intended sex was simply for our pleasure. That was part of His plan. And it's so evident if you read through this whole book from the Song of Songs, they brought each other great physical pleasure. Our bodies are designed that the nerve endings of our body never experience more excitement than they do in sexual intercourse. It's part of the way that God wired us up. And we have let our society tell us so many wrong things about this. And the reality in the context of marriage is that God intended it to be something that is beautiful and pleasurable and wonderful. We need to get in sync with Scripture. Secondly, we need to dial into our spouse's sex drive. Dial into your spouse's sex drive. I heard about this man who was in the hospital who's been very ill, and so they got him to the hospital. They ran all kinds of tests. The doctor examined him. They they finally thought they had figured out what was wrong. And so the doctor came into the room and he said to the wife, could I speak to you in the hallway? The doctor said to the wife, your husband only has a very short time to live. I think maybe it just will be a matter of weeks. He said, but I think that if you would take him home and, and pamper him and cook him three days a meal, three meals a day and take him breakfast in bed and you'd make love to him like you did the very first year, I think he could live for maybe a year. So she walked back into her husband's room and the husband said, what did he say? She said, he said, you're going to die really soon. <laughs> Men and women are created different sexually. Now, that's not big news to you, is it? That was part of God's plan. Men are wired up as sexual sprinters. And women are wired up as sexual joggers. Men sprint into sexual action instantly. Women jog into sexual action. 
It was part of God's plan that we would be different. That shouldn't surprise us. But here's the problem. Even though we know that we have been created differently, if I were to ask you this morning, you'd say, oh yeah, I know we're different in that compartment. We have allowed those differences still in many of our relationships to be a huge obstacle. Because when it comes right down to it, many times we are very selfish and we don't communicate clearly about the sexual part of our relationship. There's a very interesting tradition that's found in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Some of us, I'm sure, wish this tradition was still a part of our culture. Listen to what their tradition was. It says, If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife that he has married. That word happiness could also be translated Pleasure, and it is the same word that in other places is used to describe sexual gratification. So in other words, this man was being told, you are to pleasure your wife for a year. Interesting tradition, huh? Talk about a honeymoon. But I got to thinking this week, and actually Peg and I were talking this over. It makes me wonder, why the whole year? Could it be that it takes at least that long to really begin to learn how to meet the sexual needs of your spouse? That it's not just an instantaneous thing, but it takes time, it takes communication. I want to be really uh, real and honest with you this morning, as if we're not already being that, right? Peg and I, as we have had opportunity to, to counsel and listen to couples over the years, we hear far too many instances of women who say, I just don't enjoy sex. And I, let me tell you what I think about that. I think in many cases when we hear that, guys, it is because we are sexual sprinters and we have just sprinted into the sexual act and we have never taken time to really understand our wives sexually, to really understand and communicate with them about what brings them pleasure. We have just sprinted into the act. You know what? God intended that this sexual act would be something that we would both learn to enjoy. We need to learn to communicate about it. We need to learn to to talk about what is enjoyable, what brings pleasure, what is comfortable. Now, I know for, in some instances, there are physical issues that make this difficult. And I know that in some cases, there are experiences of the past that taint the experiences of the present. But in many cases, dare I say, in most cases, We struggle in this area simply because we have been selfish and we don't talk openly about it. Why do we think that when we get married, we should all of a sudden be a pro at this? That is one of the the smoke screens of our culture. And and the truth is, you know what? If you're struggling in this area as a couple, you might need to get a a good book written from a Christian perspective that simply talks about the mechanics of how to improve it. Go buy the book. There are lots of them out there. Good books written from a Christian perspective. Read it. If you're comfortable, read it together. If not, read it individually. Then get together and talk about it. And begin to communicate 
about how to make this area of your relationship all that God intended it to be. Third step is that we need to bring back the romance. Bring back the romance. Now guys, I don't mean to to pick on us, but let me address that again. We need to oftentimes be reminded that we're the ones that need to take the initial step of bringing back the romance because we need to remember that our wives are sexual joggers. It's not a spontaneous thing for them most of the time. And we need to work at bringing back the romance if we want this part of our relationship to be healthy. That means you you need to give your wife undivided attention sometimes. Don't go home and bury yourself every night behind the newspaper or be glued to the television set or be out working in your workshop or whatever it is for you. Your wife needs your attention. Your wife needs your non-sexual touches. She needs you to, to hold your hand, hold her hand when you're out in public. Or when you're driving in the car, hold her hand or, or put your hand on her leg. When you get home at night, go into the house and hug her with no other motive than just to say, I love you and I've missed you today. Give her your attention. Give her your touch. Do some unexpected things around the house. She needs your, your actions sometimes. Help out around the house. If you leave her with everything to do around the house and you never help out, it's not very often that she's going to be in the mood at night. You know, I heard about one lady who shared in her small group, not here, but in, in another state I was reading this week. And uh, she shared one night in their small group. She said, you know, every time I see my husband bathing our young children, it really turns me on. For the next month, the the families in that small group, they had the cleanest children you've ever seen. (laughs) Guys, I don't know if it'll work, but you might try it this week if your children are that age. (laughs) That'd be a whole other sermon (laughs) if they're older. You need to bring back the romance. I heard about this guy who realized he uh, hadn't been very romantic, and so he uh, he showed up. He decided at work one day. He was, he was dressed in his uh, suit. He had that kind of job, and so he kind of freshened up a bit, put on some cologne, stopped at the store, bought some flowers and some candy, and he drove home. But rather than going into the house right away, he went to the front door and rang the doorbell and stood there ready to surprise his wife. And she came to the door, and he handed her the flowers and the candy, and she said, "Oh, great." She said, you wouldn't believe the day I've had, you know, uh, our son was throwing up and the dishwasher broke and the house is a mess and there are toys all over the place and now look at you, you show up drunk. <laughs> Guys, some of us need to bring back the romance. Let me suggest a couple of the ways that we bring back the romance and this applies to both husbands and wives. First of all, we bring back the romance by eliminating the monotony. You know what the truth is? The sexual part of our relationship for a lot of us has become very monotonous. I mean, it happens the same time, same day, same place, all the time. And we need to get rid of that monotony. You know, some of you really, you need to go home and read the Song of Songs and let their creativity inspire you. You need to surprise your spouse with a night away. And you know what? If you can't afford going away somewhere, then make arrangements for somebody to watch your children for a night and turn your home into a creative place where you just invest in each other and invest in this part of your relationship. But break the monotony. Do something that surprises them. I'm not sure if I should talk about my wife like this, but I'll tell you, that's one of the things she's so great at. Every once in a while, she'll just say something or give me a look in a strange place or 
you know, other things. And um, she surprises me. I tell her all the time, I didn't expect that. But I like it. You can bring back the romance. I didn't plan on saying that. I might be in big trouble. My wife read. The, I don't. My wife doesn't do this all the time, but she read pretty much my whole manuscript this week to make sure that what I was going to say was okay. I that just came to my mind. So you can also bring back the romance by eliminating the obstacles. One of the obstacles that we face is just sheer exhaustion. With our busy schedules and the stress that we're under and the fact that we don't get the kind of sleep that we need, a lot of us just spend life exhausted. And when we're exhausted, you know what? This part of our relationship doesn't sound very appealing, does it? So I'd encourage you, some of us need to eat better. Some of us need to start exercising. Some of us just simply need to go to bed earlier. And not just so that we can be involved sexually. Sometimes we just need to go to bed earlier so we get some rest so that eventually we have energy for the other action. Another thing, that, another obstacle that we need to eliminate in a lot of our families is our children. Our children sometimes get in the way of this part of our relationship flourishing. You know what, parents? You need to learn to put your children to bed early. Make them stay in bed so that they fall asleep and you have time to be involved this way. Some of you who, as your children get older, you need to let them know that there are certain romantic hours in your house. Hours where they're to go to bed and they're to stay in their room, and they're not to come into your room during those times, unless it is an absolute dire emergency like somebody's dying. And as your children get even older, your children just need to learn that when the bedroom door is shut, don't knock, don't come in. And you know what? As your children get even older, I can tell you that if the door is shut, they have no desire to knock on the door because they pretty well know what's going on. And that thought just... They don't even want to think about it. You know what? You know what your children need more than anything? What they need often more than your immediate attention at that moment? They need you to have a stable, healthy marriage relationship. And this part of the marriage relationship needs to be healthy if the overall relationship is going to be healthy. You know what? We need to get in sync with Scripture. God said the idea of sex is a wonderful idea. Don't let the smoke screen of our culture ruin it. We need, to, we need to dial in to our spouse's sex drive. We need to learn to understand each other. And that happens only when we communicate. And we need to bring back the romance in our relationships. I don't know about you, but I want my marriage relationship to be ignited or reignited. I want it to be healthy and I want it to be all that God desires it to be. And the only way that's going to be true is when I follow His instructions and I do marriage the way He designed it. And when I do, it can be a wonderful thing. Let me pray for us. God.